when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It's January 10th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 533. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Patrick Klopek. You made it, Rob. I'm happy for you. Sort of. I half made it. I'm kind of here. Uh, and also, we are joined by Renata Price. Howdy. Um, welcome to the in-between uh, of, of life and the grim release. Yeah, uh, so everyone have nice vacations. Everyone have a nice little break. Everyone gets to like see people and do mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. and like <laughs> read and play games and I live. Did. I did all those. I watched. Uh, I watched a lot of movies. I mean, you and I watched Black Adam, Rob. So how bad can it uh, that break really have been? <laughs> you know that's true. Uh, it all became worth it when I was like, you know, if I hadn't been laid up here, I wouldn't have watched Black Adam. <laughs> uh. So when did it I, go bad? When, can you, um, I, you know, I have not been, I've been very fortunate, knock on wood, to not have been afflicted with the COVID or at least ever caught it um, is, okay. is running through our house. But I'm curious, did you know, was there a moment that like, oh, uh-oh. And is it, did, is it, is it dissimilar to sort of like, you know, when you like wake up in the middle of the night to like go to the bathroom and you can like tell your body is deteriorating and you're like, well, we're going to discover a lot more when I wake up in a couple of hours. And it's almost always much worse. <laughs> so here's the funny thing. Uh, I didn't know until I was like, there was my denial phase, <laughs> but I've made it this far. It's not not now. Not this it time. Wasn't just not that. Me. It was. So here's my actual <laughs> suspicion. I think I got COVID because of the mice. What? Uh, because I turned <laughs> I turned up with a positive. Those motherfuckers. I had exterminators and cleaners come through here back to back about four days, five days before my positive test. Okay. Mm. Uh, and that was like the closest proximity I've been in with like other people. And then at and some point the in the night, they shrunk you down and you had an epic <laughs> battle with the mice mouse king. <laughs> and he bit me. <laughs> um, the, the last nutcracker. Um, so... So the thing is, we and we need to have the cleaners and exterminators come through because like stuff was out of hand. Uh, so like that did need to happen. But I think that is probably where my exposure came in. But the thing is, is the symptoms came on. It felt like allergies. It felt entirely yep. like allergies. Like my eyes were a little tickly. Um, I had no congestion, but like uh, a cough that was starting to turn up. And it felt it like it just it just felt like I was allergic to something. And a day later, I'm like, but these are still symptoms I should check out. And actually, I was I was testing now because with the rapid tests, they're 
any one of them is not that accurate, right? But if you do a rolling series uh, like 12 hours apart, you you will be able to tell something's going on probably. Uh, so for like 24 hours, while I had a ton of like congestion and such, no positives. And I was like, yeah, this is just allergies or something. And then I got my first positive. And then like, it's almost <laughs> like that was, it's like Mask of the it Red It got Death. detected. It's like, oh shit, well... Time to really unleash hell on Rob's body. That's this is like to what degree was it psychosomatic that like within two hours of getting that positive test, I started to get like deep chills and muscle aches. I don't know. Mm. But it was like the moment I got that t- that that positive, like two hours later, I was like, oh, this is bad. This is not good. But the thing and this was the part that really sucks. So this all this all happened, by the way. Uh like three days after my break started, which means like I had just recorded the last AMCA. I had just done my last like shift F one thing. I had finally like literally done, finished work for the year. And it was when we were putting up our tree that my cough developed. No. We were getting ready for the holidays. <laughs> Woo. You, got you got a playlist going. What, oh, got, what were you drinking at the time? I imagine you like carefully <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was enjoying my. No- well, that's the other thing that made it that that uh, made us think it might be allergies. Is so real trees we are hellishly allergic to. We spend months being mm. like congested and sick, and plus there are fire risks. So this year we we did the fake tree thing. We me too. We I that was I was I've wanted to do that for a while, but my wife was a big like I wanted in, and I was like okay whatever that's fine like we'll do that and then out of nowhere she's like I'm no I'm done fake tree I was like fake oh, tree. F- fantastic yeah no last year yeah. exactly like I think the year so there are two moments for us that like it was the end of the real tree phase one is we missed the pickup window for the town taking real trees so now it was somebody's got to take it to the dump so we had to pay you a guy strap with it to a the truck oh. <laughs> i'm imagining you strapping it to the top of your car uh, with, with with still ornaments attached to it trying to desperately get it to a dump uh so there was that and then there was one year um where we tried to dispose of it in the trash and so we were trying to like chop up the tree mm-hmm. a little bit uh to like if they nobody would notice us throwing a christmas tree away <laughs> if, I, if I had to do we put it down we, the shooting stages yeah, we uh, we had uh, uh, two major bushes taken out of our front yard using the back of a, a buddy's. Gee, I'm pretty sure I sent you the videos of that when that happened uh, over yeah, the summer. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Th- I couldn't like I I could not get a, like chop up enough of it to get it into bags and to dispose of properly. And eventually, like the garbage guy, you know, you know, you know, village officials don't listen to this. Uh, cover your ears. He was just like, man, just if you could just get that shit into the garbage can, like I will take care of that for you. Like I, I see that you've been trying to do it the right way, and it's just like, just, just get it in there. Like the big masher will do the rest. And I was like, okay, thanks, man. I have for two weeks tried to get this into a proper uh, receptacle, and it just hasn't worked out. Just gotta oh. start up a big old bonfire. Have yourself a party. Some s'mores in the middle of winter. Yum. Hmm. <laughs> I might be over s'mores now, but we'll talk about that maybe later. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but the, anyway, so we were doing the fake tree thing, and we got little pine tree scented like fake icicles to put on the tree. Mm. Wait, what? So okay, we got so now, smell- all right, Rob, that so is now, next yeah. level. I gotta get right. those yeah. next year. That is when the cough developed. So I was like, man, I must mm. be like reacting to these. Oh, oh no! 
And so it gave me a plausible out for like what set this coughing off. Time to pour and some more eggnog. <laughs> yeah. So the but here's the real kicker. Uh, so immediately I like I call my doctor. She's like, I'm gonna write your prescription for Paxlovid. We're gonna get right on this thing. But like, watch out for the Paxlovid rebound. We're seeing more of it. Uh, but it's like you'll make a full recovery and then you will get sick again. You will test positive again and like symptoms will resume. So within three days, I'm basically fine. Paxlovid like destroys COVID and I'm like feeling amazing, fully did recovered. You the, did you have the weird taste thing? Uh, yeah, it didn't taste good. Uh, it was, okay. yeah, you get kind of metallic taste or, or, or bile taste uh, on your tongue. Um, but it, COVID like lifted really fast. I was testing negative. I felt great. And I was like, okay, I only lost like three, four days of my break to COVID. I'm doing good. Uh, time to live moss. And so like after I had my like a series of negative tests, I was like, I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to go to the cool butcher shop uh, in uh, Andover and like go get some go get some nice and some nice meats and some wine and fancy Ooh. cheeses, all this stuff. Just go to this bougie little shop. Mm. And I go there on this little shopping trip. And at the end of it, I'm like, whew, I feel a little, I feel a little peaked. I feel a little, <laughs> a little tired, a little, little achy. But you know what? It's just because I probably didn't exercise for a few days. And I'm, that's where these aches are coming right. from. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Next day, I am like starting to just get like a classic head cold take test it's positive again and then we're off to the races and this time everything was in slow motion so like my first COVID infection is like gone finished three days this one every single phase of it was the same it just played out over the period like three four times longer um and that was the rest of break was did like you, did you get to enjoy the meats and wine that night before it all went bad Damn. Oh, the Damn. far off look Damn. in Rob Zachney's eyes is genuinely crushing to me right now. I shouldn't now. have even asked that question. That, he, <laughs> that is the most bedraggled and downtrodden I think I've ever seen you. Did they I go to waste? For a year. Holy shit. They should have gone to waste. But what does that mean? It means that either I should have frozen them right away mm-hmm. or I should have just been like, these steaks don't own me. What I shouldn't have done was on a day where I was still feeling pretty fucking washed, be like, I have to make these steaks today. (laughs) And so and I was like, but obviously the steaks were not the problem. It was the accompaniment that I was like. And and of course, I've got to uh, roast some vegetables to to go with that. So I'm going to be out in the kitchen cooking for no reason other than to avoid throwing away steaks. Um, (laughs) And so like. Yeah, that probably set the recovery back by like two days <laughs> as I just sort of forced myself to like, like prep a meal. It's so fucking annoying. Like when I had it back in November, right? I, I had a, a pretty similar, I didn't take Paxlovid, but I had a pretty similar arc where I got it on, I started getting symptomatic on Thanksgiving, right? And then the next day I was like, I don't feel great. I'm going to go to the bodega to get a Gatorade. Uh, and then it took me six attempts to sit up and I was like, mm, mm, she's not doing that. <laughs> and then I tested the next day and then it was five days of feeling like shit. And then I was like, I'm feeling pretty good. I think I can work on Wednesday. 
And I and I went and did tippy tap. And then suddenly my body was like, mm -mm, back back down for four days, idiot. No, and this is this is kind of part of it as well is like the first time around, there's only one day I was really debilitated and couldn't do much but like watch TV. But beyond that, I was like continuing to play games, yeah. all this stuff. And I was like, OK, it's, you know, it's annoying, but it's still like, you know, decent sick day times. Uh, the second infection, it was like, I can't focus on anything. I mean, anything uh, like <laughs> no. no games sounded good. They were all kind of beyond me. Like all I, like reading was absolutely out of the question. Uh, it was so all I could do was watch TV. Like I watched like, hey, Rob, I could, things, Rob, I could tell go? you were I on your Emily phone in Paris. <laughs> it's like, like tw the, the tweets were you were you were getting real time updates into Rob's condition and <laughs> viewing habits because you were you were every day I'd log on. I'm like, there's like two more things that Rob watched and shared his thoughts on today. <laughs> there were some winners in there. There are some winners in there. Some good some good TV. Uh, but yes, like during the worst, the insomnia, because this is the other thing. I don't know if it was like this for you, for you, Ren. I couldn't sleep after a point because the congestion was so bad. The coughing was so bad. that It was like the one thing that will help me get over this is like just crashing for like 12 hours. Could not do it. Couldn't even get more than like three hours of sleep. The The worst night that Friday uh, that I couldn't get up was was that where I was just like my body felt so bad in spite of the fact that I take one of the most powerful sleep medications and arguably the most powerful sleep aid in existence um at a pretty significantly high dose uh could not fall asleep because i was just in such intense body aches and and sweating and i was like oh and then i you know eventually the next day i was able to like pass out from exhaustion and then you know i got a good four hours of sleep in uh while my meds were still in effect and then yeah it was not yeah. it was not good no and like really bad in the middle of it was of course mk got sick um and she ended up having to go into the hospital um, for we're not really like she had pancreatitis come up out of nowhere but like there were like that is always a thing that happens with young people with like clear other reasons why you're having pancreatitis none here but there's some anecdotal like how weird shit can happen with the pancreas during COVID either way in the middle of all this she had to go to the ER um because if they're like your pancreas seems a little fucked up they got to make sure that you're not like imminently dying yeah and so this was the other part of this was um hospitals are just totally bummed um like she went to the ER and it was you know there were already no beds it was like well you know maybe we'll get you a gurney in 12 hours but in the meantime can you just hang loose on this exam table and she ended up being discharged from the hospital not because they were like hey you're doing great like time to let you go home it was because like literally there was somebody with uh like an infective uh an infected like surgical stump uh following an amputation uh who was like left in an exam room and couldn't balance themselves on the chairs and they were like we really need your gurney ma'am and so they were like you can go home because now this more urgent case uh requires this requires this bed um and that's that's just where like the hospitals are at right now um, which is yeah, like, like the, the cold and flu and the RS, RSV in particular has been just and then you combine it with COVID has been like every time our kids get sick and then we get them tested for something every time it's not RSV, which is what's been sending so many kids to the hospital for respiratory issues. Uh, this this holidays, they're just like pray to the gods that 
you that you did you dodged it this time so that you don't have to send your kids in and it just seems it seems yeah it seems like a nightmarish place to be you don't want to be there right now yeah this and this is the part of it, like it is weird like one uh coming out of this like i had always taken covid pretty seriously but i was really not prepared for just how shitty this was it was like an epically terrible cold that just lasted three or four times longer than any other cold i've had in my life um and it's still kind of ongoing the other day i took the dog for a walk and got back and i was like hey the room is tilting a little bit um so it's it's all stuff like that um and try and take it easy but it was this is like the first or second day I felt like pretty normal uh, since before the break. And that was my entire Christmas vacation was just like clinging to the couch, uh, sucking down Gatorade and uh, tea. That is that is the one recommendation I have is if you get COVID, get Gatorade or or something to really, really hydrate yourself because you lose fluids so much. Uh, I highly recommend the liquid IV packets, uh, but which is what I was actually having, not Gatorade. Um, they come in powders. So rather than having to get like bottles and bottles of Gatorade, you can get like a couple pounds of uh, drink mix that's like salty and tasty. And like you'll you'll take up the fluids pretty fast uh, with that stuff. A good call. So but yeah, uh, it was that was that was my christmas break uh it was, it was pretty grim let me let me tell you what were you gonna do instead if we like wave a magic wand what was rob gonna do because we talked so we talked about this on, <laughs> on the previous podcast in which um and you strike me as maybe being a little more similar to me in this regard like i'm like these vac- these times where I, these brief times where i get extended periods off like i got a plan there are things i want to do like i've thought about like what wants to be accomplished there's still some like wiggle room there and then like for just kind of letting the day take it but uh, like I had plans for like the movies I wanted to watch, the games I wanted to play, things around the house I wanted to do. It was like, let's let's go. Did you did you have a plan? Was a grand plan squashed as a result of this COVID insurrection? A grand plan, you know, it was it involved a lot more games than it did, right? Like the, mm-hmm. there was there, mm-hmm. like I'll be playing a ton of games over break. That didn't happen. I didn't plan to watch this much TV or movies. <laughs> uh, I certainly planned to finish like cleaning the house and like kind of cleaning out parts of it that was going to be a big part of it was like a lot of life organization stuff uh the opposite has happened uh because we had to have the sofa bed deployed basically this entire last month uh because nobody can sleep and so constantly some people like me or mk is wandering down here to watch some tv until we pass out um so now nobody's been in this place to clean it uh basically since cleaners were here a month ago I haven't had the wherewithal to clean it. So now it's like completely bombed out. Basically, it's a nightmare. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think probably the big thing was, though, I, I plan on doing like a lot of like holiday cooking and baking um, and take some trips into the city. Bummer. None of which happened. Don't like it. <laughs> sad for you. Yeah. Pretty it was. Pretty, pretty grim, uh, but at the same time, like, you know, in a, it, it and was yet in extremely Rob fashion. You well, I don't want to spoil too much. Cause I don't know what's going to happen with this. You privately messaged me to be like, yeah, I don't know. And then I also just like wrote like thousands of words about a couple of things that I watched. And I was like, OK, OK, Rob, like coming over COVID and also just going to write a long meditative uh, essay on some content. Wow. Nice. 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 Yeah, so good. It, so good. Uh, I, I ingested a lot of culture over the, over mm-hmm. the break. Um, mm-hmm. 
I, I, my, my big regret. I didn't find time to watch The Irishman. It's you know, really I good. Watched, I watched Casino. I watched Wolf of Wall Street. I really feel like mm. I needed to watch the watch The Irishman. You, you should. I really like that movie. Um, it was. It's very fun. Anyway, uh, so you know, there's no real like. I hope basically my you know my final message here is like. Try to avoid getting COVID if you can. I know that's really hard right now, but like it's everyone has stopped. Like you feel like a weirdo taking it seriously. You do. Like I felt like a weirdo. I still do feel like I'm wearing a mask everywhere. I'm wearing a mask in the shops. I'm wearing a mask in the elevator. Uh, it sucks. And it's like everyone's just kind of pretending that it doesn't or they're just not like fully aware of how much it can still suck. Um, well, but, but also I think the variability of the re- right. Like so. A, the vast I, I, like my mom got really sick but the vast majority of people i know that have gotten it like have been lucky enough to get you know felt crummy for two or three days and then poof it you know it, it, it life goes on so i think i think the fact that you can have uh, it be like relatively a non-event is also contributing greatly to the fact that well, whether that's a combination of luck or well, and those like, non-events were often earlier variants like yeah. so my suspicion is like now the new the new variant xbb1 i think uh is like all over boston effectively and people are getting more severely sick uh like there's much higher hospitalization and death associated with this one and so like whatever was true like pre omicron i'm not sure is true anymore but like i do like i think there was that phase of like people that had some like some vaccines and like if they got sick it like passed very lightly and a lot of people like sort of came came through it pretty well i don't even know if that holds up anymore uh as this new variant take hold takes hold but I, I, i'm with you badger like i think it does sort of like put you off your guard when there are a lot of folks who are like you know your experience is your experience there's a lot of folks who like it hit them like a pretty regular mild cold and for me it hit like a really really bad cold uh that's just like the longest lasting cold of my life I mean, I guess I was knocked out for 10 days. Um, I my symptoms lasted a wild amount of time. And like when I was testing, um, Rob, did you uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious about this. So like the rapid test strips, right? Yeah. Do you know that they change in color, like in, in, in color, depending on how intense it is? So the darker the test strip line, the yeah. uh, higher viral load. Yeah. Great. So when I first had it, uh, my viral load line was black. Uh, and the rest <laughs> of the strip was like light red. Uh, like the the control strip was light red, and mine got to the point where it was like almost black. It's all um, that's all the COVID. I yeah, think I had super that's COVID. What happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, MK called me at one point looking at one of my tests. Uh, she was like, "You were basically now a walking spike protein." Yes. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, yep. And uh, oh, no. that was the I, I took that test the day after I could not get up, and like. It, but also the, you know, a close friend of mine got it like literally days after uh, I had cleared up, uh, only had it for four days. Uh, and then not only only was symptomatic for four days, but then tested negative two days in a row and was fine after that. Um, and like it is it is com- it feels completely random. Um, it, it, it sucks. Uh, don't get it. Um, yeah. If you can. It is. It's real nightmare shit. Well, also, like, so apparently it's uh, you need two negatives 48 hours apart uh, yes. to to make it hold up. So, like, day one, day two doesn't do it. It's got to be day one, day three 
uh, where you get two negatives that you're that you're in okay shape. <laughs> uh, and that took me a while to get to because um, I would have a day where it dipped and I was like, OK, like I'm out of the woods here. And then two days later, I'd be back. Um, I like I, it does seem to be licked now. But uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's kind of a frustrating, uh, maddening thing. But enough enough COVID talk here. Uh, like like America, let's move on and not think about this anymore. I just got to say, XBB1 is my least favorite new Star Wars droid from the new trilogy. Mm-hmm. Good. No, Kato, that was good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Been sitting nice. on that one for how long in this podcast, Kato? Uh, so, Wait, Patrick, you still haven't gotten it, right? I don't. I, I Yeah, in the sense that Patrick's no, I have not caught it or gotten really sick, but it's very difficult for me to imagine having gone almost three years with children mm. who stopped masking after about a year and a half. All sorts of bullshit with the downstate Illinois courts sure. uh, that it hasn't come through in some some fashion. Like we, me and my wife, we always test anytime we get uh, a cold, and yeah. the kids have to test if they go in for getting something checked out. And at no point have we turned black um, <laughs> on a strip. Um, so <laughs> you and I, I are the hardly imagine it hasn't <laughs> happened. But as far as I know, no, um, or at least not a bad case of it. Um, um, and so I'm, I'm, I am thankful. I kind yeah. of hope that I just got it and it was asymptomatic or it was so yeah. mild. It didn't rise to the, to the point of, of notice. Cause I'd rather have that like mild immunity that you get. But yeah. the, my brother was in the same boat and then he texted me like two months ago and was like, the baton is passed to you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, the last um, one. I have, I have gone and, and he lives in Wisconsin where Rob, you're like, America's finally is starting to move on. Wisconsin, th- 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 it never happens. Like, COVID <laughs> didn't occur. Like, oh, like fuck. bartenders at, like, f- uh, favorite bars of mine died. And it was just like, the show goes on. Um, oh uh, so, uh, so it is possible to have just been tremendously, it's just lucky. Like, it's, it is just pure, yeah. pure, unadulterated uh, luck. And maybe that's the case. That I've just been lucky in, in getting mild a case or cases of it too but so far knock on ikea wood i'm i'm still here this so, is why it's important to have a real bamboo desk you can always knock on you know i know i don't know if that <laughs> makes it where, where does that fall on like the curse pan- like i made us i've made a knock a, on a, ikea part of the board <laughs> yeah like it has the... wood in it hmm. okay does that does it always like against this does it always sometimes. sometimes i mean it's got like paper pulp right or some shit there, there's Plant I mean, fiber. if I just start whacking this house, eventually there's a stud <laughs> somewhere, yeah. right? That's yeah. wood. That's wood. Patrick beating the shit out of his home, trying to break a curse. He's <laughs> done. Patrick going five rounds with his walls. <laughs> Damn, the uh, house won. Fucked up. Who could have guessed? So, you know, one reason that we just have to move on from COVID uh, is because business must continue to happen. Uh, the wheels of capitalism have to continue turning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Ren, uh, the wheels of capitalism, as they relate to Dungeons and Dragons, yeah, oh, uh, shit. Ha- are continuing to churn, but have maybe also uh, spun out of control a little bit. Uh, what, can, can you catch us up on what's going on there? Uh, Yes, I can. So uh, it was uh, a leaked copy of what is called the OGL 1.1 was received by a reporter at at Engadget. The OGL, or Open Game License, is basically the thing that allows people to build content based off of D&D without Wizards of the Coast-like involvement. And so 
Wizards of the Coast created the OGL and basically said, hey, this is the, this is the basic system of D&D. This is our system resource document. Here are all the basic rules. You can make whatever you want as long as you only use this shit over here and don't use any of our brand pr- brand proprietary shit like character creation, uh, lore details, uh, and... So you can't use their settings. Branding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. This but is why, like, if you've ever played D&D and noticed, like, sometimes um, some uh, materials online will say, like, hideous laughter, but in the book it says Tasha's TM hideous laughter. Like, the SRD ha- has just mm. the spell called hideous laughter. Hideous it laughter. doesn't tie it into their lore at all. There's yes. differences like that mostly is, is the big thing between the SRD and actual officially licensed Wizards of the Coast materials. Right. And also the SRD doesn't really get expansions. Uh, right. Expansions happen and then those are propi- proprietary to Wizards of the Coast. This has been the standard since D&D 3rd edition. This is okay. now changing with the leaked draft of OGL 1.1. Uh, OGL 1.1, so the original uh, OGL is a 12-point document. It is, it is just 12, 12 sections. Uh, it is fits on one page. Mm-hmm. OGL 1.1 is a 20-page document uh, that pretty heavily restricts things uh, and adds a couple of rules for different tiers of content production. Um, So if you make $5,000 a year, at least, you're part of the initiate tier uh, from from selling supplemental materials based on the Open Games Library, right? Um, Which is, was legal, uh, and you didn't have to give a cent to uh, Wizards of the Coast, unless you went through a very specific program uh, that uh, Wizards of the Coast partnered with uh, and was like, hey, we will let you use some of this if you only go through this one retailer. But it was totally fair game to create like an elaborate multi-source book like okay. uh, expansion using D&D rule set. Yeah, Pathfinder, the yep. original Pathfinder uh, is a OGL product of D&D 3.5. Uh, so Pathfinder is not just like. I thought it was just a completely like I thought it was a very similar game system, but nope. like, it, it is literally just like a fork. Yeah. Yes, it fork is a fork of yeah. 3.5 uh, that basically, and this is why Pathfinder became so popular, is because Pathfinder fixes... Maybe also why Wizards is is trying to seal this up, because when, when I think about, I don't know if Pathfinder is as huge as it was, but like, I know five years ago, if you walked into a game shop, Pathfinder shit was everywhere. Yes, Pathfinder... Was crowding out D&D. Pathfinder um, branches from 3.5e because... 3.5e is a mess. Um, it's like a fine system as far as what it's going for, uh, but is really messy. Uh, and Pathfinder basically is an update to 3.5e that fixes everyone's complaints with 3.5e as long as you like the basic goals of 3.5 edition of D&D. If you like those goals, Pathfinder is what you should actually be playing. Um, and Pathfinder is made using the OGL. Here's the thing. They knew this was going to happen. This was actually the intended effect of the Open Games Library. Uh, so I actually, or sorry, Open Games License. Uh, I have a interview, a uh, 2002 interview with Ryan Dancy, the vice president of um, 
was just the coast at the time, who lays out the explicit strategy behind uh, the OGL, which I'm just going to borrow from real quick. Yeah. Here's the logic in a nutshell. We've got a theory that says D&D is the most popular role-playing game because it is the game more people know how to play than any other. For those of you interested in researching the theory, this is called the, con- the concept is called the theory of network externalities. If you accept, as I have finally come to do, that the theory is valid, then the logical conclusion is that the larger the number of people who play D&D, the harder it is for competitive games to succeed, and the longer people will stay active gamers, and the more value the network of D&D players will have to Wizards of the Coast. They go in with the knowledge that if they make this game open, it is going to lead to competitors, but it's competitors who are all playing the same game where D&D is the biggest name. So it's always feeding back into the ecosystem that they created, which is why Pathfinder coming out wasn't like, oh my God, someone made a different system using the uh, OGL. Everyone went, yeah, this we expected this to happen. All of the original, uh, a lot of the source books for Pathfinder uh, and the like additional materials made for Pathfinder are compatible with D&D 3.5e. And so... It fed back into their ecosystem. The thing they thought would happen did happen. Are we? But hang on, though. Did it? Because like, did like, did a ton of Pathfinder players cross back and like continue being in the D and D ecosystem? Because it certainly looked like it had, it had split and ta- like it had created a viable competitor for that style of RPG. So, uh, three point five e. Um... For 3.5e, people who went over to Pathfinder and wanted it, eh. But Pathfinder became more popular with RPG fans broadly. Uh, If you are, like, uh, an enthusiast, Pathfinder was more common than D&D, right? But D&D remains the most popular name, full Mm -hmm. stop. This changes a little bit with the release of 5th edition. Uh, 4th edition D&D was received... it It was a pretty mixed reception from from players. 5e was wildly popular. Um, and so 5th edition, Pathfinder was never more popular than D&D. That has never occurred. Right. But uh, Pathfinder did like release a lot more supplements uh, in the... Oh, God. Since 5e was released in 2014, I believe there has been two major expansions to 5e. One in 2018, uh, and then one in 2022, like like mechanical expansions, mm-hmm. um, and like expansions of content as opposed to just like here is an adventure. Right? There have been plenty of like adventure releases of like here's a thing you can run at your table, uh, but in terms of like actual game content, it's been pretty limited. Pathfinder, on the other hand, has released a ton of shit. They release like new modules and and resources for DMs all the time. Um, that is that's Paizo's strategy um, is mm-hmm. to both create that ecosystem and then also fill it with things for people to buy. Um, and so this has been the strategy for D and D for the last twenty years. Uh, and it's worth noting that Ryan Dancy, the vice president, has made it very clear since the proposed changes to the OGL, that it was not intended to ever do this. The OGL is not a document that was intended to be updated. 
he made this very clear that this is a binding agreement. You cannot change this if you have purchased this game. Wizards of the Coast, since he left, has gone back on that and is attempting to update to 1.1. The changes to 1.1 also include revenue splitting. So if you use OGL content and make over $750,000 a year, you owe Wizards of the Coast a 20 to 25% royalty uh, on anything you sell, which is pretty significant. Um, the indie RPG So it's the sp- transformation of D&D into platform. That they yes, own. and this is part of a broader push of D&D into platform with D&D uh, Next, which is the next edition, uh, the next update of D&D's basic systems, which is coming in 2024. They are doing their first play tests of D&D Next, which also unites everything under uh, basically one one umbrella. They're trying to make it so that if you want to get something for D&D, there will be, you will go to one place which has a virtual tabletop system, a marketplace of Wizards of the Coast approved modules that work with that um, virtual tabletop system and uh, that all of this will be backwards compatible. Uh, Going forward, uh, all, you know, content released by Wizards of the Coast will be backwards compatible with 5e and like other editions of the game, which is a hell of a claim to make. Um, And so this is them doing the thing that all tech companies try to do. This is just the startup strategy of let's build a massive audience and figure out how to monetize them later. Um, And here's the thing. They figured out how to monetize them a long time ago. Uh, Again, borrowing from that 2002 interview, the source books for D&D, the player's handbook, the thing that you need to use uh, Mm -hmm. the OGL, right? The thing that you use in conjunction with the system resource document, right? That was their most, like, profitable product. It's not like, it is not the console thing. It is not where Sony is, you know, Sony and Microsoft sell consoles at a loss because they, they with the hope that the services and games will recoup those losses over time, right? With, when it comes to D&D, the source book is where the profit comes from. And then everything else you release is designed to feed back into that source book. That is profitable. It works. But it does not allow for geometric growth. Mm-hmm. I was say there's profit and then there's pro- like you, you can be profitable, but you know Wizards of the Coast as a broad, broadly as a company is also going through a moment, right? Yes. Like Magic is got issues in terms of like they've printed too many cards. Um, the Wizards, Wizards of the Coast just uh, announced that they've canceled like five. I think Bloomberg reported five yes. games have been canceled. Baldur's Gate three is still going through because that's the, the the ball's already in motion on that, and that game seems broadly liked. And it's probably going to be excellent, but. It suggests there are, you know, some of this may come from a place of financial uh, kind of sort of floundering at the company as they go through this particular crisis. Uh, To put the magic stuff in context, uh, the magic situation was so bad that uh, Hasbro's stock uh, took a visible hit after a Bank of America analyst uh, described the company as killing their golden goose uh, with... Uh, the changes that they've been doing to magic. Uh, And all of these changes have basically been trying to find a way to generate money very, very quickly 
from their games at the detriment of the active community. Um, that is the strategy with magic, uh, because what is happening is that there have been an overabundance, <clears throat> not just of cards printed, but of like new sets. Magic has been releasing new like sets of cards at a astounding clip that like is some of that is some of that related to the uh, the ascent of things like this during covid in which like, you know, like we've seen Pokemon cards, basically collectibles entirely like board game centric things like shoot through the roof because of changes in people like behavior. Is there any indication that some of this is like the tail end of like, hey, this is always going to be this way. People just need more of this shit. And this is like catching up with the fact that, well, the world's also changing. And now there's not as much demand for things like expanded magic sets as people are going outside to catch COVID. <laughs> people were already pissed about this. Like this is not okay. when this started happening, the magic community was pissed about the speed at which they are releasing sets because for anyone but the most devoted players, it was basically impossible to keep up with. Uh, and it was actually causing issues in physical game stores where they would, you know, buy the new set in the normal quantities that they buy of new sets. Uh, and then they wouldn't sell because there's, you know, a set that came out last week or, you know, a, you know, a month and a half ago. And so, well, sort of the tension with live games, right? Yeah. As we talked about, like, there's this balance point between having your core community like engaged with constant like new stuff, and like they they keep forking over, but also at a certain point, people do get off the merry-go-round if it feels like it is becoming burdensome to try to keep up. Right, and so that is why those analysts were like, "You have fucked yeah. up magic," uh, and so that took a massive that caused a pretty big stock hit. Uh, to Hasbro as a company, and then it feels like these changes to D&D are, fa- are being fast-tracked uh, mm-hmm. to try and quickly find a way to monetize, um, to additionally monetize this thing that has been profitable for them previously, but is making up well, for this broader hit. So it's a huge cottage industry they're trying to capture, right? Like yes. the-, well, right, it's the... It's the rise of, like, role-playing shows, right? Like, those, like, in the past five years, like... Yes. Things like Critical Role, uh, others have not – they're not just po- – they're, they're industries unto themselves. Like, and, you know, disp- I'm not, you know, like, fully integrated into these communities, but it's not easy – it's very easy to imagine from the outside looking in that, yeah, like, those places are making a lot of money. This has become <clears throat> uh, full-time careers for people, and so the fact that the original IP holder would want to cash in on that – uh, is not surprising, even if like the relevance of D and D now is probably directly linked to the rise of these shows, and they should just leave well enough alone and find better ways to partner with them and monetize together. I, I will be clear: uh, the the tier of show you're talking about, um, Critical Role, uh, Dimension Twenty, and uh, the Adventure Zone, actually do directly partner with Wizards of the Coast. It is the tier directly below that that is getting like, but those all exist because of right, like it's it's it, like th- th- those shows well, allow are, the in, like it to be a big enough space for those shows to exist. Are the shows threatened? But like, because when I look at this, I I see the the support industry being directly threatened by this. Like, if your business is releasing RPG source books that yeah. are basically like third party D and D materials, or like to like advance uh, your own game worlds that you created that use the system. Yeah. Now Wizards is saying we want a large royalty uh, yes. for for this. Does it also extend to some of these like content creators that do like uh you know role playing game shows? So the difficult thing is that no one's quite sure yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a leaked draft 
uh, of OGL 1.1. And so there are still some things up in the air. Um, is point, but people are upset about it. Like, oh, yeah. like people are furious and it kind of doesn't matter if creators are threatened by it because they are pissed. Uh, and so basically Wizards of the Coast is entirely dependent on the community that they have created. They have built their business model around this network theory that they have that they have previously done, right? And anything that pisses off the community to this degree immediately jeopardizes their previous strategy because D&D 5e uh, and D&D broadly is not the best system. And people know this. People know that D&D isn't the best system. Hell, Ryan Dancy, in that interview I mentioned, says, I know D&D isn't the best system. I don't care. It doesn't matter if it's the best system. It is the most popular it is the most popular system because it is the most recognizable one, right? Its greatest strength is its ubiquity. In fact, it was built with the open game license in mind. There are holes in 5e's game design. There are holes in 3.5's game design that are kind of intended to be filled with the like third-party content producers who are adding in entire game systems, entire mechanics, entire settings. Those holes were intended. And now Wizards of the Coast is like, well, you can only plug the holes that we want you to, that we created um, through our proprietary system. That expansive license existed for years and people did all the shit mm-hmm. when the document of record was basically explicit permission to go and do all the shit. Yeah. Um, this isn't like, it's not like, thank God, it's not like Adobe's uh, D- Dungeons and Dragons where suddenly you're, you're, it's game night and the D- your DM is just fucking bricked because you haven't accepted the new license. Uh, well, so it's like, kind of like how ULAs change over time, right? Like they're, they're, they're treating it like that as opposed to a pre-existing But contract. if people are already out there with their existing shit that was made under this previous license, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's like, there's, yeah, I don't a, know. there's I mean, a lot of barn door being tried, try, like I mean, there's definitely a, an open question here of uh, like I was chatting with someone uh, earlier today about the like works adjacent to all the like if these rules happen it will directly impact the work that they do in a profoundly negative way and the way they describe some of the internal discussions were like we don't think they can legally do this but there are lots of things that can just be scary stuff and someone has to legally test it right like which of the codes could roll this out and it still requires someone to sue you know to, to bring the claim and it may be easier for lots of folks I mean, we just, just got out of a legal training session where a ton of the message was there's a ton of like legally protected stuff that journalists can do but defending your right to do it will destroy you <laughs> exactly yeah right, exactly so, so to gain that right back who's in a position to do that yeah. i don't know right um however the, the thing is that um it, the, the system's greatest strength is its ubiquity and if it loses that by pissing off a large enough member of, like portion of its community, that's going to be really hard to earn back. It's it's going to be really hard to get that back because other systems are better specialized. Um, the independent scene, for as much as the D and D has exploded over the last few years, so too has like the independent scene. The amount of specific systems that exist that are better designed and better used to the specific ends of the people who are using them is kind of astounding. 
Uh, and so if you jeopardize that ubiquity, you are risking actually losing your ecosystem entirely. Um, How? But uh, like my understanding is if we're looking at market share. Yeah. D&D is the default, the ubiquity, yes. like the difference in scale between it and what's happening in like the indie RPG space is just yes. like night and day. Yes. Um, and I like. I, I don't know, I like I am not sure, like there's the question of like how many people will even notice this like is happening, right? Like people who just right. like played like playing D&D casually with their friends, D&D is their system. Uh, like how many will even notice this is happening? But two, like if. If it does play out where like a lot of these third party publishers and game uh, like game designers and writers uh, look for a way to get away from, out from under Wizards of the Coast. Where. Where do they go that you start seeing wizards like lose market share? I mean, so I've been actually talking to uh, a few. I reached out to, I think, like four or five independent publishers. Um, they're all talking about going different places. Uh, it depends yeah. on the person. Uh, some of them are looking at switching over to Pathfinder because Pathfinder has since released Pathfinder 2nd Edition, uh, which is a total rewrite of this of the game's rules and so no longer uses the foundation of 3.5e. Uh, and so a lot of, you know, people who are like interested in like fantasy design are looking at moving over to uh, D&D's most direct competitor, Pathfinder, uh, which is Pathfinder 2E was really well received. Um, yeah. Paizo has been managing it pretty well, uh, all things considered. They just actually had a, they just unionized uh, a while back. Critical, um, critical role before it went public was using Pathfinder. Like they were using Pathfinder before 5E came out. And then mm -hmm. he switched to 5e when 5e came out. And then that's when it blew up. Yeah. So it's like it's 5e gonna... definitely owes a, a certain amount of its popularity now to these shows in a certain way. So if those and shows start to get threatened, the fans of those shows, where are the people now buying 5e player like players handbooks, start to look elsewhere if they think, well, my favorite show is now gonna move systems, so am I. Right. It's also it's also worth noting that like in terms of audience, the audience for because of these shows, right? Where are these shows popular? They're popular on Tumblr. They're popular on Twitter. They are popular on Archive of Our Own, right? Like they are popular in places that are that primarily cater to a younger audience who is going to care significantly more about what content creators are saying, right? You're like average D&D group of like, you know, 28 to 35 year olds uh, who are, you know, playing because it's really fun. And, you know, they've been doing it for a while and they started playing it because it was popular and didn't really know about the actual play scene. They might not care, but the future of the like success of the brand, those people care because they're on average more online. Uh, and so big PR hits like this do a significant amount of like long-term damage, uh, especially if uh, they manage to piss off the the folks behind Critical Role and Dimension 20, uh, which is like the worst case scenario for the company at this point. I think it's time for uh, tabletop RPG, like fantasy tabletop RPGs, uh, that, that community to dust off the rules to Warhammer Fantasy Role-Playing Game 3. <laughs>
Rob, you can just start a, bring absolutely. it back. <laughs> Rob, you can you can just start a Warhammer group if you want to. You don't you don't you don't need the children to do it. You, I think it would be worse for you if the children did it. You can you have his power. <laughs> you have this power, Rob. Just just imagine. Just imagine where, where that becomes the default though in terms of like RPG games. You don't want to you don't want to read call out posts from 17-year-olds about the yeah. inquisitors. You role no, played it as a quizzer? That's is... problematic. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want this. You don't want this. This is how world. Rob finally gets canceled. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because of Warhammer. No, Warhammer just... gets so popular that Rob and I streams where we talk about how hot the Inquisitor is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she's, she commits done. genocide. You're done. <laughs> it's irresponsible. To, yeah. Uh, well, um, so I'm I'm really curious how this all plays out. I assume you were working on an article about it. Yes, I am. I'm tr- hoping um, to get that out. Uh, I don't want to open this can of worms soon. right now. Maybe you'll touch on it in the article, but I am curious where this leaves like tools like Roll20, which all like, Patrick, <laughs> when you talk about like businesses that blew <laughs> up during COVID, mm-hmm. uh, like stuff like Roll20, stuff that like made remote play of games uh, easier to do, really got overvalued uh, during COVID. So mm-hmm. Roll20 uh, is primarily built with 5e in mind and like D&D in mind. A lot of its tools are built around D&D. P- people use it for plenty of other things. It is modular, but like it is. it is. So primarily. they're equally invested in, D- in D&D as Wizards of the Coast is effectively. Yeah, I, I reached out yeah. actually to uh, the creator of a different uh, virtual tabletop. The thing that I use now uh, when I play Lancer, which is a mech RPG foundry. And the thing that I'm seeing is that like people are worried yeah. uh at least like in the long term in the short term wizards of the coast wants to release their own vtt uh and have it be proprietary they haven't done that yet they have not proven to anyone that they have act they are actually capable of of releasing this thing right massively different competency in yes. terms of like what your organization can do yeah um yeah this is Wasn't there uh, some talk that they were trying to buy or foundry was that a scare not foundry Roll no 20, i think roll 20 up. bought someone else okay i think it, like I, this like i did hear some rumblings about this i was i was uh casting about for that because there was some i think roll 20 made some other acquisitions uh in that space and it got a bit messy uh but i don't want to get into more of it so this is the only this is the this is a sentence that will read uh, a yeah. quote from uh, uh andrew clayton over at uh the foundry Uh, just that kind of summarizes all of this, about what people are worried about. Clauses that grant intellectual property rights over created content to Wizards of the Coast allow for the license to be changed at any point, stifle innovation by placing restrictions on allowed product formats, and remove creators' rights to make and distribute content under the prior OGL 1.0a would be extremely problematic. Um, So like those are the the summary of points that people are, are really concerned about from this leaked draft. Just don't buy. Just don't get the new. Like if you're, if it's like where if you're in line, stay in line. If you've got a publishing business based off D and D three point five, stay on that system. God. Yeah, I will say it's not official yet. This it, it would not shock me if you know uh, we we're listening and we'll be back with you know further updates to the system as a sort of thing that ends. I mean that's the convenient part of. And by convenient, I mean like people be getting a chance to weigh in and create a a PR backlash but before the rules are finalized. That stuff to, like often will go the road. Like right now, there's the um, John Deere letting farmers repair their mm-hmm. tractors, right? But like 
they're in part making that concession to like try and preserve their broader and like the broader shift in intellectual property and repair uh lo- like laws that they want mm-hmm. um and so like i like you know Wizards of the Coast desperately wants like some palatable version of this new license that will give them let them dip their beak. I don't think there. I cannot. I cannot fathom a world in which they are not going to have some version of a platform that is trying to make money off of this ecosystem. It's just a question of where do they start sanding the edges? Yeah, this has been their long term strategy since I looked. I went back and read some investors' reports um, from 2020, 2019. This has been their long term. They have been trying to shift to this for a while. Um, it's just this is a this is a long process. It's been like a, a six year long process of trying to switch things over, and this is the first real significant manifestation outside of like. We partnered with X or Y creator to make this thing, right? This is the this is the the big swing. Um, it's also worth noting that they have been shutting down discussion in their own internal channels uh, in terms of like the D&D uh, Wizard of the Coast official Discord for D&D. You are not allowed to talk about OGL 1.1 at all. Your posts will be removed. You will be banned. Uh, the Reddit is also like being pretty intensely moderated right now. Uh, and so, again, there is like the stifling of discussion is also not helping uh, the relationship that they have already damaged uh, with their community. Well, I'm uh, very curious and excited both to read the article and to see how this all plays out. We're going to take a quick break here. And, uh, you know, as we take this break, remember, Waypoint Plus listeners get this podcast ad free. Learn more at waypointplus.com and see how you can fill this break with nothing but blessed silence and edit most of it out, but mostly silence. Back after this. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. Uh, now, before we totally close the books on uh, RPG systems, Ren, you've been playing Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous, which I had confused in my head with uh, Pathfinder, I think, Kingmaker. That is, that uh, is the sequel. And if, if I do not remember what the general consensus on that was. What I do remember is my friend Rowan Kaiser spent a good year of her life trying to figure out how she felt about Kingmaker. Uh, and I think broadly recent inclusion of like, it's a bad game that I kind of can't stop playing and I don't know why. Uh, but I'm curious, like wrath of the righteous, uh, like what are we dealing with here? So, uh, this is a, uh, CRPG from, uh, a couple years back and, uh, is really fascinating. Uh, I've been on a massive CRPG kick, 
uh, for the last, like, basically started when I got COVID. Uh, once I got COVID, I started a big CRPG kick that has only gotten more intense uh, as time has gone on. And so uh, one of the things I did over break was was go back to uh, was go back to this. And it's really interesting. Uh, it is a it uses a modified version of Pathfinder's uh, first edition uh, to basically create a fully featured CRPG that mixes both um, real time with pause combat and something you'd associate with like Baldur's Gate or um, uh, Planescape Torment uh, and turn based um, unless you switch between the two. And what they made is like probably one of my favorite CRPGs that I've played. Uh, it's really sick and the narrative can like diverge in pretty astounding ways uh, like early on. Um, and has been like a real joy for me to get into. I've become a little bit of a, a Pathfinder freak, uh, in, in the last few weeks. I've been, I've been really surprised by it. So I'm, I'm curious we're talking about like just the feel of playing it. Are we talking yeah. about like when I think of, um, earlier Bioware stuff, for instance, it was a little more directly tied to D and D, uh, and such it was a little crunchier, right? It was more like, this is explicitly like we are, we are adapting and automating a pen and paper system and we're going to create lots of like visible hooks for how this all fits into the tabletop system it's going to as best as we can feel like playing the computerized version of a tabletop campaign and in different like like at a different extreme you get sort of the the larian approach uh with like divinity where there is it is like very mechanically dense but there is no like fidelity or even uh, like concession to like tabletop roots necessarily in that way. It's it's, it's considerably pushing beyond uh, like what you're what you're used to seeing in in tabletop systems. Ironic now they're doing Baldur's Gate three, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, in terms of like the 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 crunch factor mm-hmm. that comes from being like a faithful adaptation to a pen and paper system versus the like streamlined or abstracted uh version version of like a game like this that you can make where where is wrath of the righteous on the spectrum so i would say it is less crunchy than something like pillars of eternity pillars of eternity can be a very very crunchy game because it is uh using this like computer automation right you can have Mm. four different defense stats uh, and your armor score and all of this stuff and to do way more complicated like numbers shit because it is being managed uh, by a computer, right? This is yeah. part of why Pillars of Eternity rules. Um, Wrath of the Righteous pretty directly adapts um, Pathfinder First Edition uh, and so is as crunchy as you'd expect. Um, and I'll be honest, I do like I do like the crunch. I've, I, at first, mm. I was kind of like, at first I was kind of put off by it when I first started the game, because it has the classic early in a TTRPG problem uh, of missing fucking everything, uh, because the AC of the enemies is just a little bit higher than yep. you expected. And so it's just like, all right, I got to roll a 12 to hit this guy. And the fight, the fights feel like the least epic shit imaginable yep. where, where it's like uh, the the brawl in uh, Bridget Jones's diary. Remember when Colin Firth and... Uh, <laughs> and Hugh Grant begin going at it, and it's just like two soft middle-aged men throwing haymakers in the street. That's that's like levels one through three of of an <laughs> RPG. Yeah, and 
I will be honest, this one does suffer a little bit from that uh, at, in, in yeah. the very early game. Uh, I'm, one of the weirdest and like not one of the worst experience I ever had while playing D&D was uh, a GM who put us against uh, living armors in our first uh, fight, which uh, have a pretty stupid AC and we didn't have any casters with like touch. It sucked. It sucked. It was awful. I don't, I don't approve any sort of like the DM is the enemy of the players type type stuff. No. Like, no, 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 don't you? No, no, no. It was it was minutes of just people being like, ah, missed again, ah, missed again, ah, missed again. And like that stuff is a bummer. Um, but once you get past like and one of the things that's really cool about this is that it has some of the most variable difficulty options I've ever seen. You can be like, okay, I would like enemy stats to be slightly lower than what they are in the traditional RPG, um, or like way lower than what they are in the traditional RPG, but maybe I won't have death saves, or maybe I will make it so that I can't, when you rest, you don't actually heal back wounds, and you can only heal back wounds by doing this other thing. Uh, and so you can really tweak the game to, you know, how what are the skill checks going to be? I can make the skill checks like hard or easier or harder while at the same time making the enemy stats lower uh, or higher. And so like it is wildly variable. And so like when I first was learning the game, I was like, okay, I'm going to turn this down to moderately weaker enemies because I don't feel like I'm able to hit anything. I don't know why I'm not able to hit anything. Let me, you know, get used to this system. And once I did that, I started having a really good time and was like, okay, cool. I'm actually hitting things. And then I, you know, rebuilt my character a couple times over because I turned on the difficulty setting that lets you rebuild all of your characters um, whenever you want. Uh, and so I turned that on and then I was like, okay, cool. Let me play around with builds a little bit here to see if I can find something that works and like experiment while the stakes are a little bit lower. And then as I've gone on in the game, I've been like, all right, I think I'm ready to start raising the difficulty to make these fights more engaging, right? Mm. And to actually like find the fun in how do I make these later fights feel cool as hell uh, while still having them be like challenging? My other question would be just like narratively or structurally, like what's what's the vibe, right? Like, uh, but my understanding is like one of the raps on uh, Kingmaker is that it just felt like really generic uh in terms of like just the very basic bare bones like meat and potatoes fantasy story so uh, the, and not much to, like interesting about the world so the premise of wrath of the righteous is that you start in the city at the edge of the world wound the world wound is where all the demons come out of uh all the all the horrible demons who want to kill everybody oh, and, and i have chaos type situation yes exactly yeah. you're you, you are starting a city at the edge of the world wound you wake up wounded with a mysterious wound in your chest uh, that seems to open and close uh, at interesting points in time. You know, the, the wound doesn't make sense. Um, and then the city's attacked by demons. In the first 10 seconds of the game, uh, a dragon has its head chopped off by the demon lord Daskari. Uh, and from that point forward, you kind of start... Uh, moving through uh, the city that has fallen and trying to like push back a oncoming demon invasion in the city of Canabras. You can do that either by leaning into the powers of a bunch of different divine beings who have uh, taken interest in your player character. Uh, one of the first things you find is the sword of an angel, uh, and you can like use this angelic sword to 
uh, you know, it hurt the demons. Or that wound in your chest keeps opening up and has you really pissed off for some reason. And so you could also, for example, fight the demons by leaning into what is revealed to be demonic powers yourself. You have been, the wound you have been given has granted you the ability to tap into the mythic power of demons to to fight back against them. And then from there, the game puts you in charge of the Fifth Crusade. Um, And the Fifth Crusade has you basically trying to take back uh, cities from the demons. It is at this point that things can diverge. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a meta campaign. Yes, there is a there is a meta campaign, Rob. Ooh, <laughs> there is there is a meta campaign with like army management. Okay, as you as you as now you tell fucking gaming as you as you tell your crusaders <laughs> to like go around and be like take out that demon over there so we can have more resources to build this army, um, mm. or like looking at uh, a demon a bunch of demon troops and being like. Oh, my level's so much higher than these demon troops. I bet I can take these chumps out. And then you start the fight and you're like, oh, they all do magic. And I don't have anyone in my army who can do magic. Oh, no. Oh, oh, God. And then they just obliterate you with artillery from range. And you're like, oh, so it's more than just the numbers, huh? Oh, interesting. Oh, no. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I can't just big numbers through these fights. Um, And so... All of that's in there, and it's sick as hell. Um, it, it, well, the crusading stuff is interesting. Uh, I don't know if it's always great. Um, there is the option to automate it. And so they mm-hmm. seem to know that, like, oh, there's a portion of players who just aren't going to care about any of this shit and want all of the crusade management uh, automated, which is, again, part of the, like, pretty expansive difficulty options uh, that the game provides. And so... You are leading the Fifth Crusade, which you can take in some interesting directions. Uh, do you want to lean into the mythic power of angels, Rob? You can do that. What about the awful power of demons? You you can do that. What about the weird objectivist, um, like distant spectator power of the lawful ions? What okay. about the uh, chaotic good uh, energy of like the cool angels, the 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 uh, Azada, <laughs> the cool angels? Uh, Ren, please like, leave the editorializing. Uh, <laughs> uh, like let's let's <laughs> we don't we can't say they're cool. The the Azada are cool though. They're chill. They're like little guys, and they like I just want to have fun. Don't know that Waypoint is ready to endorse their full program, and we need to we need to learn more about it. <laughs> uh this sounds this sounds really cool. I'm uh yeah, this this looks really neat and like I don't know, it's it's weird. I guess I've I've in my head I'm like, well, we're just waiting for Baldur's Gate for like the next big game like this, but you know, this this looks like a very cool like modern interpretation of like some very old school RPG stuff. Yeah, like you hey, Rob do you want to become a lich and then turn the crusade into your personal lich army? But you you can, it, this is allowed. And like, that is the, that is the cool shit is like the story can diverge pretty wildly um, and diverge in ways that are like, I, I have looked at the list of potential companions in this game. 
and there is some shit that you can do that allows you to take certain people as companions that is fucking crazy to me. Uh, and like it, it, it's really engaging. Also, the combat system is good. I've I've become I've become a fan of it. The kineticists, their whole thing is that they can like manifest energy blasts and do a ton of damage um, without having to cast spells, but they have to reduce their own constitution to do it. And is this like, like push permanent? And, permanent? Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, until you like rest at like a serious rest location. Uh, and so basically, until you rest, you are permanently it's like me kneecapping. COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that is my that is my Pathfinder pitch. It, it's good, and I wonder if it may be a Rob's acne game. It it might be. It just, it's it just seems it it does look really cool. It sounds really cool. Uh, and anytime it's like, oh, the diamond structure isn't here. Like the, the divergence is real, and that it will continue to like play out. Uh, is is always really exciting to hear. Uh, you know, Patrick, over the break, uh, you know, I watched I watched a lot of TV, and this showed up just a little bit too late for me to make it. Like, if it showed up just a week earlier, oh, what a godsend it would have been. Uh, the 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 preview episodes of The Last of Us uh, on on HBO. I think, did you watch all of them? No, because. Okay, so we're used to in our field um, playing games that are incomplete, oh. that aren't aren't finished. Um, and sometimes even when you play a game for review, you'll be told like, hey, there's a day one patch and like here are some issues you might run into. And the whole idea is they're trying to get ahead of you saying like get really hung up on this one bit that they plan to have isolated and fixed by the time it launches. And I don't review TV shows, movies early. I usually see them when they're they're out and they're quote unquote finished. Even if most CG these days feels like it's unfinished, it probably could have used another week in the uh, in the can. But um, so I have watched the first episode of The Last of Us. But when I was reading some of what they're describing in the like the preview notes of like, hey, sound effects and visual effects are not complete. So, so just know that watch this. Like, well, this is like a big budget. Adaptate. I want to. I want to see it when it's. <laughs> I think I want to see it when it's complete. Um, but I have watched the first episode of of the adaptation, which uh, premieres uh, this coming Sunday night. I think on on HBO. Um, and it's like it. It'll be on HBO Max. But like, there is still like a distinction between HBO and HBO Max. And like, this is the big new prestige drama, like Game of Thrones level show from uh, HBO and. Even as things get in- increasingly convoluted over there, I feel like that still means something when HBO itself puts itself yeah. like kind of behind uh, a story. They've been kind of flagging like this is like the Chernobyl production team, right? Like, yeah, this is uh, Craig. Uh, I don't have his uh, his last name uh, escapes me. Yeah, yeah, I believe that's right. He was he was the one behind. Uh, the the widely like well regarded Chernobyl adaptation that I got two you years into. That first episode. Did you did you not make it past or did you didn't no, like the you, rest I, of it? I know you didn't. I watched the first two. Like I got to there was a, a, the last thing I remember in the show was watching um like there was some fallout hap- or like some stuff was sprinkling down and it was kind of like snow and it was like I, my understanding was things got really bad after that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know much about Chernobyl, but I feel like that was a bad sign and maybe yeah, some foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't stop it because it was like too sensitive. I just never got back to the show, but I'm pretty sure this is gonna get me to. To, to go back to that and actually finish finish that show out. Um, uh, so, yes, the la- you know, we I've been very curious about this show because the, the Last of Us, if you've played Rob, you and I revisited the 
the the, the re, that kind of remaster uh, update it. that was done for the the PS5 and makes that feel like a brand new game. It is well well known on this show. Many podcast hours were spent that we didn't particularly care for the sequel, but I still really really like that original game. Think it tells a really tight, interesting story that uh, seems very ripe for. It may seem sort of silly at having played a video game that is so deeply inspired by Hollywood cinematic blockbuster productions to then have that be adapted. Um, and so what I've been so curious about, and it's not, uh, is then what's the point? What are, what, are, what are we doing? Are we just literally taking something that looks like a film and shooting it with live actors? Or is there an opportunity here to like, hey, what would you do if you went and revisited it? Because doing a remaster is different than telling the story again. And my thought was always going to be, okay, when you remove, if that if The Last of Us Part 1 is a, I don't know, like 15 to 20 hour game, you're probably spending half of that, more than that, shooting, right? Like that's a, like shooting and looting is like a huge part of the atmospheric development, some of the more subtle storytelling that's occurring, and just frankly what the player is doing for a lot of, of that. And when you remove that and you still have to tell, I don't know if there's, it's probably eight to 10 episodes. I don't know exactly how many there are in this season. You know, that's a full game of story, but with none of the downtime that is associated with the sort of interactive layer of, of a video game. And so I've only watched the pilot because I do want to watch the episodes when they're fully finished. And my wife is really interested in watching it. And it's a really fun way to wind down Sundays is with shows like this. But I'll, what I'll say about it is that I do think at least so far, like it's a very successful, interesting adaptation. It uh, it's weird. It was weird to be in a place where I don't want to spoil a story that everyone already knows. But now that it's a TV show, I do want to be sort of sensitive that you may be going into this not having played played the game or not liking that style of uh, of, of game, but still interested in like seeing this adaptation. But what I'll say is, if you're familiar with the story uh, in the game, is uh, the opening to The Last of Us, which remains like one of the most powerful, like just like gut punching uh, moments in, and even just a piece of fiction, like uh, video games or otherwise. Uh, sure seems like there'd be like, you could do an hour of that. And that's not quite what happens here, but it spends a lot of time um, in a world that is kind of only alluded to in the game and uh, turns, there's a, a character at the beginning of The Last of Us that is mostly just an emotional story beat for our main character and what the show does is says, well, no, let's actually turn them into a character. Like, let's give them time. Like, who was this person? Why did they mean so much uh, to, to, to Joel? And really spends time uh, following this character around. Um, and so I quite like it. I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. I'm not as hung up as some people are where they've they have made. They essentially made it. They didn't want to shoot characters in gas masks for 10 they episodes took out the spores so they took out the the, <laughs> the spores and now it is actually like t- tentacles or like you know like and they make it very obvious very very early in the show it's just like they pan down to one of the kind of like converted uh humans and it's just like <laughs> coming out of their oh, mouth that was fucking hair no that is that is like that is how and they and they have since that like in the show opens up framing it this way and it sure makes me think this is something they're going to get to in the third like the third game that is rumored to be in in production is that these 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 uh the infected are are a hive mind like they are they are not just singular actors that they are actually communicating in unison which I don't think is a plot point of no. either of those games but is going to be my guess is will be something that's in the third one and is now being established from the ground floor uh in the first one whether how much that actually 
is illuminated where like it seems like they're active, you know, acting with some sort of, you know, communal intelligence. I don't know, but that's the sort of narrative ground uh, groundwork that they're that they're laying here. Um, and it's kind of neither here nor there. Like it's it's beautifully shot. Like, Rob, you know where the story goes in the opening yeah. moments. And I knew that I was judge. I'm like, oh, the movie, like the show opens and it's already clear I'm going to start crying. And, <laughs> and yeah, I got pretty misty when I saw the Dick Cavett set too. I was like, man, we used to have talk shows in this country. Uh, uh, and I'm just, I'm like, I put like my hoodie over my head. I was like, what's, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's like, you okay? Oh, I'm it like, is really fat. Like, I, so I have watched this opening sequence and watched like what five times over the like, yeah. years. And it's very yeah. endearing. We're talking around the 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 spoiler of what happens. I know uh, this. I know it's very. But wait, so it follows the, that exact same structure of like pre pre like jump. Yeah, draws it out more. But like more, it's think, like you're spending was, a full day. Like yes. re, like where the where the game opens the night that all hell breaks loose. Yeah, the show opens on the morning of the final day oh. and you spend a full day following the characters around or following the, the character around uh, to sort of see what the last day of like semi-normal living was like. Yeah. And it starts pretty slow. Like there's no infected in the first episode. I mean, you, you get a glimpse of sort of like what's behind the walls, but like, it's not, I will, but it's not, it literally has the resident evil uh, <laughs> reveal Patrick. There's infected in episode well, one. But they're, they're humans, right? Like we haven't gotten to sort of, what we <laughs> oh, sort of yeah, think like of the, as the mushroom people. Yeah. 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 Like that is, that is, that is being sort of, sort of held off. And I think what we'll do, Rob has only watched part of this, this yeah. pilot and we'll watch the rest. And we'll just pull the bandaid off and all these, like all this, like tiptoeing I'm doing around, like the story, we'll yeah. just rip that off and, and actually talk about it. But I, but I will say it's, it seems really good. I do think it's worthwhile. Like it is proving to be fulfilling and interesting, even as someone that knows the story in and out. Um, and so I am excited to see where it goes from here. I haven't put a minute into these games. Should I watch those? I mean, you yeah. watch the pilot, and you, well, I think on. you'll either be in or out. I think you're you know? better because I think the, the I think one thing that'll make it harder is I do know these games pretty well, and I, I dig what they're doing on this show. But I do know these beats really, really well. And in some ways, I think it might be more effectively told in some ways in the games. Like regardless of how well they're doing it, I am not sure I've seen anything like, man, this is like what an incredible adaptation. Uh, but like, if you don't have, it's quite reference, literal. I don't know that how much adapting is going on. You know what right. I mean? Like, but if you take that, like, yeah, do you like cool zombie shit happening? Then you should probably watch this well that's why it's so curious to watch it with my wife who is no understanding of games like she saw that like oh hbo is putting on a big new show i like what they make i'll watch this and uh she, she was completely transfixed by the show the you mentioned the spores are removed and that like threw me off because like isn't that like the central thing isn't that like the the central like reason that this spreads and like the the way it does yeah. And what distinguishes it from other just normal zombie fiction? Well, but already, though, like, if you think about it, already the conceit they used in the game didn't really make any sense. Where, like, you could always see the spores, you know, where the infected zones were because, like, they were filled with Fair. what affected what was effectively all these, like, beautiful, like, motes of light uh, that, that filled these spaces. And that was a sign that, like, there were spores in the air. Uh, and so I, like, I do kind of see where they get away from that because if you think, like, if you are saying, well, there's just spores floating through the air and people are like getting infected by it, then in the in Last of Us, the game, like effectively, probably everyone should be dead. Like just everyone should be <laughs> yeah. utterly fucked. So yeah. it makes sense that like 
in this, they're like, okay, it's got to be a bit more of a direct transmission Got uh, it. That, that is happening. Um, so I think it's more equivalent of like getting bit like by a zombie, mm-hmm. even if that's not yeah. actually what is is is. Uh, so I agree. I mean, yeah, yeah, I they agree moved it from both it's... to all to just the one, right? It was yeah. like both airborne, and you could get bit by the fucking thing. But now it's just just get bit by the thing. <laughs> yeah, I was just, I was just curious because I feel like you know the modes of light you mentioned in, in the games is like that is a concession because of you know how games are designed, and it would be really frustrating to constantly be getting infected uh, without warning. <laughs> but like that's great tension for a TV show. When I think like the, the the worry of like oh my god, is this room actually full of spores and we have no fucking clue? That's sick as hell. Uh, and I'm and I'm kind of bummed to hear that. Yeah, they I do wonder if they're just kind of tension. overthinking it, right? Like, like, oh, like, is the audience going to buy X, Y, Z? And it's and, or if it was Pedro Pascal's already spent an entire what two seasons wearing <laughs> yeah, a yeah, fucking that was mask. Yeah, that's contract. No I know, I know, no masks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Not he's really good, at, I, he's so good. I finally watched that uh, unbearable weight of massive talent, and that movie does not live uh, up to its incredible premise, but. He is a joy in that in that in that movie, um, and he's good, and he's good here. There's not enough of 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 Ellie in the in the pilot to really get a sense one way or the other of how that character like they, they got the spunk. Actress. I think they, they've actress. dialed up the the, sp- <laughs> the like the spunky nature of, of of Ellie at least in the 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 couple of scenes that she has in, in the pilot. I mean, she's definitely very. Uh, I was reminded of that playing the game was like, damn, she's got a, a lot more characterization than I had 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 uh, you know. A lot of that I've forgotten uh, since I went back and played that. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> she's got two middle fingers up really fast, and in, yeah. in this version of it, so I think they're playing <laughs> they're playing into that a little a little bit more. Uh, I, but I'll just say here, I like I, I like what Pascal's doing with the character. I think one thing like that does that was kind of hitting me here though is that Troy Baker's Joel. Uh, we talked a little bit bit about this with Galt when when he was on the show talking about this, like. Mm-hmm. Galt felt like he was such a recognizable and region specific archetype of a certain type of like dude, specifically in Texas and like an entire like way of life and a a way of looking at the world. And I do feel like there's a little bit less specificity here that I'm, that I'm finding Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like, it's more like it's a Pedro Pascal character uh, and he has like an accent, but I I can't tell. It's like, it like, I think it's partly Naughty Dog games in particular are such works of of detail. Like the the games are kind of designed as if through like the lens of like set design, set decoration, right? Like it's like the the environment tells a, a, a story. And Last of Us like loads up so many details in its opening minutes and hours uh, that tell you a lot about the state of the world. And here it's like. It's a TV show set in a suburb. You know what I mean? It's just, like yeah. there's there's less for me to grab onto in terms of like what is the backstory on these characters? Who are these people? How do they live? It's a little it, weirdly enough. It feels actually a little less uh, like legible to me than it does in the in the game. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and they also seem to be going the route. I mean, we'll see where the the, the game or where the adaptation goes. But my feeling all along was. Having replayed, you know, a good show, the first half of The Last of Us, like Joel's just a real piece of work. Like he's an asshole. Like the the likability factor is not very high, and I think that's a little more of like rose tinted glasses. Where the second game goes, where people kind of like informed that version of the character. You go back and replay that. It's like, man, not a great dad. Like, not, like not a, not a great figure. Like not one to be applauded. It just always seemed like it was gonna be difficult for the adaptation to keep that. Yeah, and. 
at least in the pilot, there's a moment, um, there's, there's a moment in the, and it's, it, it's, this is probably one of those literal things they do. Like it, Rob, it's the scene where they're escaping in, in the, yeah. in the car, um, uh, with Tommy and, you know, they, they see the, the, uh, the, 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 the barn on the left. Like it is, it is, it is, shot. it is pixel. I mean, it, it's one of those, but it totally, it doesn't feel like I'm like the doom well, movie. Like could they be turn the same into shot a, if you're. You have the camera turned the right way. I, absolutely, the first time <laughs> I, I played could. that game, I, people are going. The camera was going Picado. the other way. I was like, "What are they? What are they talking about?" <laughs> Do you want a viral video? Just be the first person to do that on Sunday evening because that is. It is. It is one of those moments where it doesn't feel as though it's like the Doom uh, movie where it's like, "Haha, first person." That's what video games are. Right. It just feels like it naturally slotted in. And yeah. if you've seen that shot before, it was very surreal to not have my finger on the analog stick. <laughs> tilting the camera because the camera was just doing that in in the show but in, in in you know there is a sequence where some people need help and on the side of the road there's a kid involved and joel says keep going um and in the show that as a it's almost like you can see joel's daughter's like heartbreak in that moment like oh actually my father like would do something heartless and in the game it is so clear like not that he was heartless but that Far from perfect, like deeply flawed person. And I just don't, maybe it's because Pedro Pascal is just sort of affable by definition. That's sort mm. of like what his acting range he's is. He's Mando. He, like, come yeah, on. He's just not. <laughs> so I don't know how like, much of this is the writing, how much is this is man, just. Is how it feels. It, yeah. My understanding from an outsider's perspective of The Last of Us is that it's about a, like you were talking about with the fact that like he is a, the way Galt talks about he's a very specific kind of Texan, is that like mm. it is about a specific kind of masculinity. And like, does that feel does does Pedro Pascal's like performance feel absent of that specific? It feels absent of that one, that one, right? Yeah. And I just don't know what it's being replaced with, right? And there's just for even though it's an hour and spends more time in this, it doesn't spend a lot of time with him. Mm-hmm. You know, it spends a lot of time with his daughter, and uh, I just don't know where they're going. And then you know, when we graduate towards you know twenty years later, or whatever. He's a broken man, and he's still got this broken watch on his on his hand for yeah. for reasons. And well, and in, in fairness, I think Patrick, you and I, like when we when we bet, went back and revisited The Last of Us, knowing the whole story, you can read a lot of who this character really is when you when you yeah. sort of boil him down uh, into those early moments of that performance. That it's that it was there from the start. You just maybe didn't notice it as much. And here, once mm-hmm. again. I don't know fully how they're going to reproduce the arc of of the game. Like I don't know like what this this Joel's final take on the character is going to be, but I will say like, like here's open, here's like yeah. here's a small examples. Like there's there's a moment where uh uh Joel's daughter gives uh Joel uh, a gift and it's the same gift that he, you know, gets in 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 the game. And then correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but I don't think this is how this scene plays out in the game, but then uh they sit down and watch like a goofy like 70s uh, movie together that like a shared bonding over uh, like this silly show that her dad likes. Um, and she falls asleep in his in his lap. And it's like that imbues a lot of humanity to this version of the character that I just didn't I think was like absent on purpose in in the game. And it has, has seemed to become part of. I mean, the main character it just seems like it's gonna be harder for them to like. Do you want someone you just really don't like to watch for ten yeah. episodes? Like, you can do that. I just was, re- I just didn't think they're gonna have the courage of their convictions to actually make that version of the character here. But you know, I mean, ultimately, 
I think pretty highly of The Last of Us. I think it's good. Yeah, same. Good, that, the, them some good zombie fiction. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like this is going to be yeah. good zombie TV. Uh, and so if you're like, if you're someone who sussed out early, like, man, I wish The Walking Dead could have maintained any kind of quality bar uh, for <laughs> for more than like a season. It's good for a season and a half. That's where yeah. I fell off at the at the barn scene in season two, I think is when I was done. This feels like it's it's already started. It's It's pitched higher. Uh, and seems more like it's going to sustain it. Uh, and, and so it has that going for it. May I ask a final question? No. Yeah. Mm. How many episodes is it? Eight to 10. I don't know exactly. They gave, a- they gave access. I was like, I got access to the first seven. I only watched the, the first one just because again, I wanted nine, to watch the nine episodes, nine episode okay. series. Do you feel as people who've played the game, like w- removing combat encounters or at least shortening them down to, you know, five, 10 minute scenes, uh, as opposed to to thirty minute, you know, escapades. Is there enough there for a nine hour series that, like, yeah. okay, yeah. got it. I was just like, there's there's so much that goes unsaid, like that. If you had to fill the space, the world suggests so much. Like, I I have heard the uh, was it's Bill, right? I think Nick Offerman is playing yeah. Bill. I've heard that that is oh. a tremendous episode. Like. It's a great oh, part of the game nice. and it's apparently is a, yeah. a great, a great episode where you get to actually spend time with um, uh, those characters. Um, and Maybe so, that's, a, so, the, that's a fun part of it, too, is like, you know, OK, is is Pascal's character as sharply drawn as like we now see Troy Baker's is? I don't know, but it's also cool seeing Pedro Pascal like do a different take on this character. Like, well, that's, I'm that's the thing. Did I, do I want to do I I don't need the the one to one. Like, it's yeah, not, exactly. It's why I'm not precious about I, I could agree that the. The like the tentacles as opposed to spores is less interesting, but I'd rather they just make the thing they want to make because yeah. they think it's going to tell the story better rather than boy, it's got to be the the way it was in the game. Because I'm just right. I can go play that. The movie already exists. It's a 15 hour. Right, I'm actually video hoping game. it diverges in some interesting right, ways. Right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm you know I still expect the final shot of the show is going to be the final shot of the game. Like I feel like th- there are going to be mo- like the the scene in the hospital is is going to be like I don't think those beats are going. To change all that much um I'm but curious, um, i'm curious if or how they do the dlc right it's incorporated it's, my it's understanding like, is that just it's, in the middle it's see it's seamlessly Seems in, interesting in, okay in, oh, damn, yeah, i was it's, hoping it would be webisodes <laughs> jesus christ yeah put the well, clear yeah, story in the fucking webisodes <laughs> get that out of my show god put damn it <laughs> Put the gay little freaks on YouTube. In in the tradition of the original release. Oh, well, if you want to know more about Ellie and the story she tells, watch the webisodes between season one and season Uh, two of The Last of Us. Yeah. Well, because that that one. Why aren't there any characters? Why is it all this one set? It's plopped during a, a, a time jump in the game, right? Like the like, it's a pre, it's a prequel, right? Like it takes place before. Well, it's her remembering while yeah. there's that gap where she's like <clears throat> rummaging around because Joel's like yeah. out of commission or whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, I had read that at some point. Like yeah. it's not something that's in the pilot, but I, I remember reading at some point they're like, you know, that is something that'll just be seamlessly integrated into the kind of the storytelling. They right. can, they they consider it rather than being a side story, right? That they're gonna try and just iron it out. That's as, good. like part of that's the good. Continuum, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, which is, which, which should be good. But yeah, I'm, yeah, well, on Thursday we can talk a little more spoilery about it, but I, it's good. I, and I'm, I am anxious to see, uh, more of it. So, um, it's kind of what I expected, but in a, in a good way. So yeah, that's the, the last of us, which uh, premieres on Sunday. Nice. And over break, uh, you finished God of War Ragnarok. I did. I, yeah, I went real dad mode, finished the dad game. <laughs> uh, 
Got our Ragnarok, a game, uh, so I didn't put it on my top 10 because I wanted to finish it before I, like, slot it, so I got an honorable mention just because I like this style of game, I like these characters, I like this world, uh, and then f- felt vindicated by beating it and going, I don't think it would have made my top 10 <laughs> anyway, so it it, it all uh, worked itself out. Uh, it's, like, a, it's really long, you know, it's, you know, I don't know what my hour count was, it was 25 to 30 by the the end of it, which is really which is pretty beefy for uh, this type of game. Um, and when Galt and I uh, were discussing, when both both of us were like 10 to 15 hours in, I didn't feel like it had pacing issues. I, I was fine with the game kind of going at the pace that it needed to. I think that is not as true in uh, the back third of the game. It is somehow a game that is too long and not long enough. And that's mostly because I just think it chooses, it runs out of steam on the Kratos, Atreus stuff and would have been better serve spending time with some of its other characters that had really interesting threads to, to pull on. Um, and the whole conclusion of the story without getting into the story specifics is building up to a real, you know, in infinity war style. We all got to get together to do a thing. And it just sort of ends kind of like a wet fart. It's a, it's weird. Like it's uh, it, it feels like the game. I don't know if it's production just didn't allow them to sort of like meet the, the moment with this, the kind of set the spectacle that it seemed to deserve, but it uh, it just sort of peters out towards the end um, in a way that it was I found a little surprising. They shouldn't uh, have let the guy who wrote Christopher Judge's TGA speech write the game. <laughs> <laughs> I will say Bro- Brock and Sindri, who are these side characters, they're, uh, they're uh, uh, dwarves that like help build all your equipment. Um, they are side characters that are very memorable in the first game, and they get a really beefy interesting storyline in the new one um and Sindri in particular uh the arc that that character goes on has the best arc in in the game to the point that I'm I'm fortunate enough to be able to talk to some of the to the writers uh in a week or so about that arc because um and it's it, I think it speaks to like the best moment in the game happens with one of these side characters which can happen but also I think it maybe speaks to the game's priorities um and where they kind of get a little weird towards towards the end D- does it feel like it should have been gods of war Ragnarok where you were like actually passing the torch between all of these characters in the story? Like, is it, is that how stretched the Atreus like Kratos relationship feels where it would have been better as like an anthology to get these stories I, yeah. in, in a more. Yeah, yeah way? I, I think certainly, yeah, certainly like changing up the, the, the framing would have been but helpful. I also think this this series is under a weird. So the first game establishes, or the, you know, the reboot from a couple years ago established this whole goofy like single shot like nonsense where it's like the game's got to yeah. just there aren't cuts like we're just panning and we're, we're uh, um, or I mean, they're cut, but like it's all one continuous sort yeah. of thing. And they continue that, I believe, in in this one. And frequently it feels to the detriment because it means like just getting it's like, well, like we need like this is how we've set this up. And that sort of it becomes an arbitrary to get characters in certain locations to set up sort of like handoffs in a way that. It just feels sort of goofy, and I'm, I'm I'm with you that I think it's the kind of story that would have benefited from, um, just like actually just straight up swapping p- perspectives because we're always behind Kratos or Atreus, and I I think frequently the story could have, uh, like the way the way it does its storytelling is you you have these two characters and then you got a side character who's always chatting at you who gets, becomes your new person that's doing that you hit square and they do their little funny ability um that that helps you out in battle and I think there there could have been a real ripe. Uh, possibility to actually completely change perspectives that I think would have allowed them to tell the same story, but without some of the like kind of just sheer repetition that comes uh, mm-hmm. towards towards the end. But but overall, I liked it. They'll make another one. 
I'll play another one of those. Like, uh, I like these style of games. I just, I feel like they keep, they're biting off more than they can chew in terms of the, the scope of them. And it would benefit from, uh, a little bit of pruning. So, uh, I'll leave my, my other thing for, for another day. I can always play more of it and have more to say. So let's just dip into the question bucket before we call it a day here. Remember, you can send us all your questions at gaming with the subject lines, line questions, uh, so let's see. Eddie in Queens writes, I started walking dogs for work a few months ago. And so I've started listening to a lot of podcasts. Ren recently mentioned Shrieking Shack, Patrick Filmcast. What else are y'all listening to these days? Thanks, Eddie in Queens. Let me load up. The- one, one rec. What's, what's a, what's a good pod that you're, you're, you're digging that you would, you would eagerly recommend to folks. Uh, mine's pretty easy. Actually, it's, and I know this is going to be like super on the nose for me, but I need like I want to underscore here. It is not just because I'm in F1 that I think this is a great podcast. Uh, F1 Beyond Shift the Grid. Recommend your own podcast. Shift no, F- recommend your own podcast. Uh, F1 Beyond the Grid is a interview show uh, that F1 like the media company puts out. And they have a longstanding Formula One journalist uh, interviewing people from the world of, of F1. And it's interesting because it's always, I think it's always interesting to hear people conduct a lot of interviews with folks who have worked in the same industry in different roles over a long period of time. And what's so riveting about it is like, it's certainly more legible if you do know F1 history, but like, it is just really cool hearing this guy talk to like drivers from the sixties and seventies and you hear about what the job entailed back then and like what the level of engineering was like and and just like the culture of the sport at the time was like. And then hear that experience juxtaposed like week to week with somebody who's like a current driver, uh, you know, working in a completely different technical regime, a completely different type of sport, a completely different type of culture. And it's just kind of inherently fascinating to hear people talk through talk through all this stuff Uh and like there are some really like some of the episodes I've I've really treasured have been kind of unexpected because like you don't expect to uh you don't expect an old racing engineer to be so entertaining or so able to unpack what their craft was and like entailed back in the 60s and 70s but like I listened to an interview the other day that like did exactly that. Like a, a guy who was sort of at this transformative moment in uh, like formula one car design talks about like how they ended up arriving at like massive transformational changes in how these things were constructed and what combination of like rules and like material science enabled that. And it's like, Oh, you're, you're hearing about like the revolutions in industry uh, that like took place in like right before everything became electronic, right? It's right before the electronics revolution in a lot of ways, but it's like the last moment of like pure mechanical like revolution that's happening before that. Uh, and that stuff, that stuff is really, really terrific. And so it's ended up being a, a great podcast. The conversations are generally pretty first rate. Uh, a lot of the folks are really interesting that they talk to and uh, it's easily like, Probably my favorite, <clears throat> uh, least least skippable podcast that I have on rotation. 
Excellent. Um, mine, uh, I was looking through. I need it's the beginning of the year. I do need to do a pruning of of the podcast. Once I'm not listening to, but this one I got really into by the middle of last year. Uh, it's called the Content Minds, which is a it's spinoff of a newsletter I really like called Garbage Day, um, uh, which is uh, written by Ryan Broderick, uh, a reporter. Um, and the podcast is I was pulling up. I didn't know that I couldn't remember the name of the other journalist. Uh, Ryan Broderick and Luke Bailey, and basically it's like a I mean, broadly speaking, it's like a podcast about internet culture, but it's like two extremely online reporters explaining without looking down on like various internet dramas, but like, here's a big thing that's happening in Tumblr this week and explains it to you. And like, they're exhausted, just like the rest of us of like being online and uh, being addicted to it, but not able to look away. And they just do a really good job of putting, I like hearing about these different pockets of the internet that I do not have time for. I do not have any understanding of, but there's so many cool stories happening out there and they spend a lot of time breaking these down for me and I really enjoy it. They're also like, you know, uh, really just deeply skeptical tech journalists that like a lot of the times when a new AI thing comes out, it's a lot of people speaking really flowerly about like how amazing this is going to be and how cool this tech is. And their response to all this is usually this is a lot of bullshit. Like, here's what's actually going on here. So it's just a really entertaining, interesting, insightful listen. And so I'd recommend that podcast, uh, which is always, and also it's very short. It's like never more than 30 to 40 minutes. Um, and so you can just get like a little taste of like what's going on uh, somewhere um, and feel a little more educated about the the broader internet. And then I highly recommend the uh, accompanying newsletter, um, which is on a Substack, and you can pay to get a bunch of them, but the the, the free one that you get, um, you know, once a week is is excellent. And that's called Garbage Day. Ren, okay, uh, I've been I've been debating between two. Um, Blowback uh, is a popular podcast that convinced me that the CIA definitely killed JFK. 100%. 100%. Good show. Good show. And it taught me that the CIA definitely killed John F. Kennedy. Without a doubt. That is my, that is my pitch on Blowback, a show about America's worst uh, military mistakes um, that like breaks them down over the course of like 10 to 12 episodes and then a bunch of bonus content that is popular, but for a good reason it's 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 yeah really, i've heard really extremely good. it's been on my list I, I think i need to finally just start listening to that i've heard exceptional things about it the interviews they get are sick as hell um like the from their uh episode on their their season on the iraq war they have like really really interesting uh figures from the iraq war um showing up in like throughout the throughout the course of their of their show and like they also go beyond the history of the u.s intervention and go much deeper into like what does this space look like right how does uh the u.s uh, involvement in iraq like decades ago end up like moving forward how does this one character grow from you know this rando who was ousted from the country at age 12 into one of the primary architects of you know the, the the invasion and like it's it's really really well done Well, it sounds like catnip to me. Uh, Kato, <laughs> what is your pick? Um, it's hard because it's like, <laughs> do you like Star Wars? Well, uh, there's Rob's podcast. You like TTRPGs? There's Austin's podcast. But most of the people listening to this this podcast probably already know about those two. Um, 
So I guess the next second thing that I also sometimes keep up with is um, mostly for the TTRPG fans. Uh, if you're looking for something else in the vein of uh, Austin Walker's Friends at the Table, I've ha- been having a lot of fun with Fun City, uh, which is um, um, basically a TTRPG that uses Shadowrun uh, set in you know future cyberpunk New York. Really smart uh, DMing by... Um, uh, what's his last name? My brain is blanking right now. Uh, his name is is Mike. Mike Mignola. Yes, I was. My brain was like Mike Mignola. I'm like, no, that's the comics guy. Mike, uh, Mark, Mark, Mike Mignola, who you may or may not recognize from uh, the PBS PBS Idea Channel. It was a YouTube channel that uh, existed a, a while back that did little videos on like uh, comparing pop culture to, um, you know, like doing deep analysis on pop culture, uh, which was really neat. Um, that's a good old YouTube video series if you ever need something to like put on in the background. But they're um, they have a really neat TTRPG uh, run in Shadowrun, and they also like do some really neat uh, like more like super obscure systems in there that are really cool. One is called Still Fleet, which is about like um, you remember the ship in Wally and how all the humans are like out in fucking space like that, but horror. That, but like the horror version of like right. a bunch of people stuck on a ship that they don't understand Wally how it works. Was horror, <laughs> <laughs> Those yeah, yeah very Wally happy. was, yeah. Um, but yeah, check out Fun City if you if you like RPGs. It's a good one. Also, obviously, check out Friends at the Table. But I, don't, I didn't mention it by name because I yeah. assume most people who listen to this website know Friends at the Table. <laughs> and of course, it's patreoncom civilized if you civilized, want to yeah. get access. To, uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to get access to the premium episodes of more civilized age uh kata thank you for listening absolutely thank you for the recommendation it's good stuff <laughs> uh somehow we joked about R- rob and then he found a way his own podcast and still yeah <laughs> what is it? it's good it's good and i happen to listen to it yeah what mm-hmm. look what, what can what can we say can't you uh, under the table like what no i just like star wars okay Look, there's just so many quality podcasts, uh, like, like frothing from my brain, uh, <laughs> that they can't all be contained uh, in in their own silos, and they, they they sometimes escape into Waypoint Radio. Uh, one last quick question: We just need a quick quick temperature uh, check on on this question from a listener. When eating pizza the other night, I noticed my partner of 15 years lifting the entire plate with the pizza on it to her mouth and then biting the pizza directly off the plate. Hmm. is my marriage over (laughs) i think that's a good strategy uh if you can't fold the piece of pizza if i if i can fold a piece of pizza then that's great that is the the ideal strategy is the fold and lift Mm -hmm. but if i if i'm worried if i'm worried about the content spilling i'll pick up a plate i'll do i'll do a little a little nibble off of the edge of a plate yeah do we know that's why they did this the question I have is: it a is it sort of a chomp and scrape situation? Or are they dangling a bit of it off the edge? But this is what I need to know. This off, is the, the right? you have to be like no. Oh, oh. Yeah, this is the important a, oh. distinction. I think it's a dangle, Kato. I think it's, it's gotta, gotta be. be a if dangle. it's a dangle, I'm like okay, fine. But so I there, say, I've like, seen someone do it. I've seen someone do it. The grass has the grass an incredible is. gift to just fall onto your chest. It does. It does. Like I like as like. 
with every passing year, the plate gets lifted higher and closer to my mouth <laughs> yes. as I eat it. Yes. I'm not eating the pizza directly off the plate like right now, but I can see how you get there. And I'm not yeah. sure my journey is not going to take me to a similar place. On the other hand, I do think it's possible. It's not so much that the marriage is over is that uh, your partner's dad has been body swapped. Um, oh, by an alien. Yeah. Cool. Is Woofy enjoying her pizza? Mm. Dog ain't named Woofy. Uh so yeah, that's that's my that that that, that is my dark suspicion. Uh but yeah, I I, I find this less weird now because that also the minute you start getting nice like sweaters for me, I've got a number of nice sweaters. Yeah. That I now get really upset if something untoward happens to them. And it's changed how I interact with a lot of food products. So mad. Oh, did you I have stains on my favorite sweater? Yeah. And they're yellow. It, it's, a, it's a sweater that's white. And they're they're yellow because I was I was eating uh, Singapore May Fun. I oh, I guess Shinji got it. At your sweater. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'm gonna go later. <laughs> well, that's well, Rob was just possessed. Did Radio. Rob get body swapped? <laughs> <laughs> Did the, was the COVID actually an infection? Swapping him out at Ren or Raven. Well, this is what happens in The Last of Us. This is one of the narrative changes they made. Right. Um, yeah. Right, you get infected and then your personality changes, but you're still mm-hmm. nobody knows you're infected. But I am sorry to hear that the uh the the the, the Ava sweater caught a stray. Is it washable? Yeah. No. Kind, I mean, it's kind of kind kind of. I, I hand wash my clothes, so it'll just be a bitch to get out. Yeah. You gotta get some stain spot. Get the spray. Get the spray. My kids' stuff gets. I mean, like you're worried about. Like my kids can't worry about that. The food just is dumped on their clothes, Mm -hmm. and if you get those sprays, they they it it is remarkable what you can get out of material if you put in the effort. I got I got got by pasta that I was being very careful about. That'll like everyone there'll there'll be one little thing that you slurp up just a little bit too fast and like shit. Just the tiniest dot of sauce flicked off. Somehow the end you of that. launched a piece of sauce. Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Well, you know, that's honestly one thing. One reason I like having a soda stream in the house, at least, is like I'm only thirty seconds away from cl- like having just seltzer water that I can direct- mm. immediately apply to something. Um, that's probably been more useful uh, overall than than necessarily having immediate access to uh, like to seltzer. Uh, it's more it's, it's cleaning properties that I've ended up appreciating more. Uh, so that is a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, Facebook and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Rob Zachney. Kata, where can people follow you? On uh, Twitter, I guess, at A underscore Kata underscore appearance. You I have to think about co-host. it every time. You could say, yeah, maybe are you chose no, We don't have I a deal chose, with Twitter. I don't chose a lot, but I am at cohost.org slash Kato. I just got I too there. I too in a fit of enthusiasm was like Twitter looks fucked but the problem is Twitter is fucked but it's where everyone is yeah. and so I'm like I'm gonna go take part in conversations on Mastodon crickets <laughs> Patrick where can people follow you 
Uh, you can send me death threats for asking Magfest to uh, take down a sign at wow. Patrick Kluppick. Now you just. Oh, I could read you one that I, I could read you on a guy over the weekend, but I'm not going to encourage such behavior. <laughs> Cannot countenance such buffoonery. Uh, Ren, where can people follow you? you can follow me being normal online at Ren or Raven. Well, cut you off. She was so, it's on, she was it's so on meek track. that it, the it's microphone track, said, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at being normal online at Ren or Raven. Uh, you can also check out, we publish on waypoint.vice.com. This week, Patrick spoke to the developer of Luck Be a Landlord and how, how their success and uh, has, has not changed their perspective, really, and the stress of living hand to mouth at times. Uh, coming up soon, Ren and Kato are going to be streaming some Dwarf Fortress. Uh, and for our Waypoint Plus listeners, my turn resumes, I think, this week, if all goes well, with uh, our episode on Tarkovsky's Nostalgia. If that sounds good, or if you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. And if you want to show not just support, but zeal, go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy some of our fine Waypoint merchandise. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. For now, we are calling time on this Tuesday. We will talk to you again on Friday. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.